Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, my aim is for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and some joy in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today, I am super excited to introduce you to Dr. Mary Neal. Dr. Neal is a board-certified orthopedic spine surgeon who drowned while kayaking on a South American river. She experienced life after death. She went to heaven and back, conversed with Jesus, and experienced God's encompassing love. She was returned to earth with some specific instructions for work she still needed to do. Her life has been one filled with miracles and intervention of God. Her story gives reason to live by faith and is definitely a story of hope. Dr. currently lives and works in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. She is the author of the number one New York Times best-selling book, To Heaven and Back. Dr. Neal has told her extraordinary story on the Today Show, CNN, Fox and Friends, Dr. Oz, and so very many more. And I am clear that Dr. Neal has made her life about giving you hope and promise enriching your faith and walk with God. And I'm delighted to have you, Dr. Neal, as our guest today on We Don't Die. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for having me. You're welcome. And and you're right there um, out west now talking to us. And if you don't mind just letting us know a little bit about you and the big question of why you believe we don't die. Sure. Well, I think it's funny that you started out the introduction to your show talking about skeptics, because I would certainly have put myself in that category prior to my own experiences. I am an orthopedic spine surgeon, and as such have spent many, many years uh, really being trained to be a skeptic. I am a scientist, and Although prior to my uh, experience, I would have said that I believed in God, and I certainly hoped that it was all true, Mm -hmm. that there really was life after death, that there was something more. And I, unlike many physicians, really went through my own medical training um, and found that my belief that there must be something more strengthened. Many people go through medical school and their training and really subscribe to what I think is really its own religion, which is really this religion of the intellect, Mm -hmm. that uh, science supersedes everything else and every other experience. But for me, I, I experienced it a little bit differently because I found that as I went through my training, I became more and more convinced that the intricacies of not only the human body, but the interactions of humans, nature, all of the ecosystems, was so incredibly finely tuned and intricate that 
I didn't believe that it could have come about just as, uh, you know, a result of mere chance. Right. Um, so before my accident, I would have said that I, I did think there was something more. I certainly hoped there was something more. And I had been around death plenty of times during my training and my practice. But I also have to say that I never really thought about death personally (laughs) in terms of how, what the experience would be like or how it would really happen. And perhaps no one really thinks about it in terms of their own mortality. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I certainly didn't, and I hadn't given it that much thought until 1999. And in 1999... My husband and I went to Chile in South America for a kayaking trip, and before you <laughs> before you think that I was crazy to begin with, mm-hmm. I will tell you that we were very experienced kayakers, uh, avid kayakers. We've kayaked whitewater across the country, and that was really one of our passions. Wow. And friends of ours run a raft and kayak company and are professionals. This is what they do, and during the winters, they live in Chile, and they uh, guide American clients down the rivers. And they've done that for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And we decided to spend a week there kayaking with them, which we did, and we had a terrific time doing it. And at the time, we had four young children. Okay. Uh, my youngest son was uh, barely a year old, but we felt that they were old enough for us to leave the country and So we did. We went down. We had a great time. And on our final day of kayaking, we had decided to paddle a section of river that's well-known for its waterfalls. And these are drops of maybe 15 feet, 15 to 20 feet, something like that, which, again, may sound crazy uh, to someone who doesn't kayak, but those drops are not unreasonable for experienced kayakers. It's not something like Niagara Falls. It's, right. You know, it's something that, you know, we're not going over in a barrel. I mean, this is something that you, but you, you know, you train to do. You go over the 15 to 20 feet in the kayak. Right. Cool. And it's something Scary, that, that's but cool. exhilarating and challenging, but it's not totally unreasonable. Right. It's been done before. And yeah. on that final day, my husband actually woke up with back pain, which is something he'd never had before or since. But on that day, he had back pain, and so he actually did not go on the river with me. I went on the river with, again, these friends of ours who were professionals, and then there were a couple of other people, and we went over the first couple of drops, and that was fine. We came to the first major drop and had decided to run uh, a smaller chute, a smaller part of the river, Mm -hmm. a little bit less slow, uh, because it was still early in the day, and we were kind of getting going, and... This river was such that there was tremendous flow, um, and once you were in the current, you were committed. It's not like you could turn around and paddle upstream. This right. is uh, a big river. And I went uh, into the current, started for the smaller chute, and a different kayaker had preceded me and had bobbled the entrance a bit, and her boat became lodged sideways across the two rocks at the beginning of this drop. And so her boat was pinned, and she had been able to pull her spray skirt off, that neoprene fabric that stretches from a kayaker's waist to the boat to keep the water out. Okay. She had pulled her spray skirt off and pushed herself out. She had 
uh, swam downstream. Okay. But our boat was still there blocking the entrance to this drop, and so I was forced to veer over and go over the main waterfall. Mm-hmm. And as I went over that, <laughs> I could see the bottom, and I could see tremendous flow and tremendous turbulence and really couldn't see a clean outflow. And and I have to say, I, I wasn't psyched. <laughs> I, no. I looked at the bottom, and what I assumed would happen was that I would hit the bottom, be flipped upside down, not be able to right myself. And I assumed that I would, again, pull my spray skirt off, push myself out of the boat, be tumbled around a bit before I was spit out downstream. Right. And that is an experience that is never pleasant, but it is something that is part of kayaking. It would not have been the first time that it ever happened to me. And although one always hopes it's the last time, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's just part of kayaking. Right. And so that's what I assumed. But instead, I uh, rocketed down the, the waterfall and the front end of my boat became pinned or stuck in the, the rocks and the underwater features. And so I was still upright in my boat, but pinned, and the uh, volume of the water immediately and com- completely submerged me and the boat. And the force of the water and the weight of the water then pressed my, you know, my chest, the upper part of my body, to the front deck of the boat with such a great force that I couldn't move at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm a spine surgeon. Mm-hmm. I am a very calm, even-tempered sort of a person. Right. I am involved in high-stress, emergency-type situations. And so I've often been asked, well, gee, didn't you panic? And the answer is no. I mean, I've been, I've been underwater before in a kayak, and I'm a very calm person. Okay. And so I immediately set about doing those things that would either free me from the boat or free the boat. And I did everything I could think of. And it became clear very quickly that nothing I was doing was making any difference at all. I couldn't move my arms half of an inch, let alone pull them back enough to pull the the spray skirt off of my boat. I'm also a very pragmatic person, very concrete thinking kind mm-hmm. of a person, and I knew how far from shore I was. I knew that I was in dire straits. I've seen people die on the river before, and I knew that the likelihood of anyone coming and saving me was slim, slim. at best. And ah. so I made a decision at that point in time that I believe was the first uh, thing that changed the course of my life. And I asked at that point in time that God's will be done. And I grew up going to church. I mean, I took my own kids to church. I've said the Lord's Prayer, right. who, I don't know, hundreds of times, uh-huh. thousands of times. And of course, in that prayer, one asks for God's will to be done. Right. But I think I'm a very typical sort of person. <laughs> and I said that prayer, and I I, like most people, want God's will to be done as long as it's, you know, sort of in line with what <laughs> well, your, I your think will. should be done. <laughs> yes. And, and on my timetable, because I was a very self-confident, self-reliant person, and I had a pretty good handle on my life. Uh, but at that moment in time, I truly asked only that God's will be done 
whatever that meant. And the moment I asked that, I was immediately overcome with a very physical sensation of being held and comforted and reassured that everything was fine, regardless of whether I lived or died. My husband would be fine. My kids would be fine. Everything was fine. And it was that word, fine. Not happy, wonderful, great, but fine. Fine. And it was the first of many profound aspects of this experience because I knew that it was Christ who was holding me, and I knew that not only was it Christ holding me, but that Christ would be holding anyone who asked. It wasn't me. It wasn't that I was some special person. And as I was still underwater, uh, we went through a bit of a, a life review, and it wasn't a life review like anything I would have imagined. Mm-hmm. If I had thought about it, I probably would have imagined the Hollywood version. You know, your uh-huh. life flashes across the sky, and, you know, you see all the things you did well and all the things that you could have done better. Right. But it wasn't like that. It was uh, profound in that we did look at events in my life that would have otherwise been considered uh, bad or sad or terrible or, you know, all sorts of things like that. And then I was given this incredible privilege of seeing the ripple effects of those events and seeing those e- the impact that those events had not just three or four or five times removed, but 25, 30, 35 times removed. Wow. And it was profound because it forever changed my understanding of events, how it affects us, how it affects our world or our impression of things. But we never really have the opportunity to see the real outcome Mm -hmm. of an event. And the fact is, there really is beauty that comes out of every single event, whether we as little people can appreciate it or not. And so that was pretty remarkable. And and I was still my, you know, my cynical self and my little thought balloon off to the side was, was sort of watching all this thinking, wow, this is really strange. Mm -hmm. I know that I've been underwater too long to be alive, but I felt more alive than I've ever felt. And here I was having this incredible experience with Christ. And I was going, wow, this is, this is a little strange. And I kept doing self-assessment exams, trying to figure out if, if I was, I don't know what, hallucinating or something. But I said, no, no, I'm, I'm still uh, with it. I could feel the water. I could feel the current working on my body. I could feel my body being sucked out of the boat. I could feel my knees bending back on themselves. And, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I could feel the bones breaking. And I remember thinking, huh, that sounds, you know, that feels like ligament. That, that's not good. But at the same time, now did you see, Mary, did you see Jesus or did you just like have this feeling and just, you just knew it? At that point in time, it was, um, a physical sensation. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't looking at him. And at that point in time, it was as though you're holding a small baby and you're pouring all of your love into that baby. But in that situation, I was the baby. I was uh, just this receptacle of this incredible love, absolute pure love. And then as my body came out of the boat, my spirit separated from my body and I rose up and out of the river and I was immediately greeted by a group of, some things, people, beings, angels, 
I'm never really quite sure what to call them because those names mean different things to different mm-hmm. people. I like something. <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> uh, but they were so overjoyed to welcome me and greet me and uh, guide me. And I knew that they were of God. I knew that they were from God. I knew that I'd known them as long as I had existed. And there was a shift in, I'm not sure what the right word is, but time, dimension, something, so that I could be with them and being led by them and at the same time could look back at the river and watch one of the guys pull my body to the shore. And it was really... um, Interesting, it's not quite the right word, but at the time I was really struck by a, a couple of things, one of which was surprise that, sure. wow, okay, I guess I guess I really am dead. Uh-huh. And that was, that was surprising to me. <laughs> but then I was also struck by this absolute sense of being home, of being where I really belonged, as though I'd been on this long journey to earth and now I was home. Wow. And I was going to be able to sleep in my own bed. Oh, and we all know what that <laughs> feeling's like. We do. Exactly. It was absolutely wonderful. And I was a little bit saddened by the realization that when I looked back at my body, I recognized that that was my body, that it represented me, my life on earth, my family. And I recognized, keeping in mind that I'd been reassured that they would be fine. Mm-hmm. I recognized that I had absolutely no intention of returning. And, you know, I felt a little guilty, not at the time, but a little guilty after that. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> nonetheless, um, I, I hadn't planned on returning. And, and these uh, spirits then took me down this incredibly beautiful pathway. And, and beauty, of course, is different for each person, but it was a pathway that spoke to me, and, and I absolutely believe that God not only sends his most gentle messengers to collect this, but really speaks to us in the way that we will each understand. And for me, that involves color and flowers and aromas, like the aromas of flowers. Mm-hmm. And, and other people don't respond to that, but that's what really moves that's my, my soul. And, and this path was exploding uh, with color of an intensity that doesn't exist here on earth of colors that don't even exist and it was as though it was the essence of the color and so I could experience each color all at the same time without you know without mixing and making brown it was the essence of it all and and the flowers and the aromas were incredibly intense and everything was absolutely imbued with this pure, absolute love of God. I mean, just of a love that, again, we, we, for whatever reason, are just not able to experience here. Hmm. And they were taking me toward this great sort of domed hall of sorts that I knew was basically the point of no return. And I could hardly wait to get there. And I I wanted to run as fast as I could, and one of the guys who was doing CPR kept calling me back, and then I would have to go back, and I'd lie down and take a breath, and then I'd rejoin uh, these spirits that were taking me, and that cycle went on a number of times, and 
it was interesting later on to talk to this guy and compare stories and realize that we were each equally frustrated with the other for very different reasons. But nonetheless, uh, I kept going down this pathway and eventually got to this uh, threshold and could see inside and see a lot of other, you know, beings, angels uh, running around very busy. But when I was on this threshold, it was a really uh, another very profound time for me because all I had to do was think about something and I had understanding. It was as though I understood everything. I understood how everything worked. I understand. I understood everything about the universe. Wow. And one of the things that was really profound for me personally was coming to an understanding of how it can be true that God knows each and every one of us and loves each and every one of us as though we're the only ones and has a plan for each and every one of our lives that's one of hope. Because that is something that was always troubling to me. Because as I said, I'm a pragmatic person. Mm -hmm. There are billions of us on the planet. (laughs) You know, we have so much trouble knowing or loving the person down the street that, you know, doesn't look like us doesn't do what we like to do, doesn't agree with us. Uh I mean, we have so much trouble with that. How could God really know and love each and every one of us? And so often we don't love ourselves, right? (laughs) Well, exactly. You know what? That's exactly right. I've said many times that, you know, the Bible tells us that nothing can come between us and God's love. Mm -hmm. But I would disagree we come between it. Oh, we look, You're exactly yeah. right. We look we in don't the mirror feel sometimes. And... Worthy of that love. Sure. Yeah. But I, and I can't explain how it works, but I can assure you that not only are those promises true, mm-hmm. but all of the promises are true. Wow. So that was great. And I thought, okay, well, you know, let's, let's keep this show on the road. Let's go. <laughs> and then at a certain point, I was. Uh, told that it wasn't my time, that I had more work to do on earth, and that I had to go back to my body. Uh And so I did what I think any reasonable person would do and said, no, I'm I'm good. Everything's okay. I'm staying. I'm not going back. Uh (laughs) And uh, obviously I'm not a very good debater because I I did not win that argument. Mm -hmm. I am back. (laughs) So then they took me back down this pathway and then I was reunited with my body. And at that point, it, um, first of all, I was in an absolute state of shock that I had been, what my kids would say was kicked out. Uh I mean, I just couldn't believe that I was back on earth. And, and it was a number of months before I came to grips with that. Uh, but I was reunited with my body with a number of very serious injuries. I mean, I, my legs had multiple broken bones, ripped ligaments. Uh, I developed a severe case of this ARDS or this pulmonary problem. And keep in mind, I was in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So it required a whole series of miracles to get me back to Wyoming, which is where I had decided... I was going to go for my medical care 
even though it's, I mean, when I, even when I look back on it, it's, it, none of this part of the story makes sense, but there was really no one to tell me that I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. No one along the way, because I was perceived as the kind of the medical expert. Right. So that part is crazy, but I then, I ended up being back and in the ICU for a while and while I was in the intensive care unit, I had another, a uh, couple more out-of-body experiences, but another experience when I believe I was in heaven, I was in this uh, just beautiful field. And again, it was the same experience in terms of the most intense uh, beauty and color and emotion and pure love. And and I, at that point, you know, it took me a long time to say this out loud to anyone, but uh, I had another conversation with Christ, and and it took me a long time to talk about it because it was so incredibly personal, and it seemed so outrageous at the same time. Even though the reality of Christ, we all talk about, oh yeah, you know, we have a personal relationship, but we don't really. I don't think many of us really believe it. <laughs> and so when it's true, then you think, oh, wow, this is, I can't tell anyone about this. Uh, but nonetheless, I was in this uh, incredibly beautiful sun-drenched field. And again, it's a beauty that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. And other people who have had near-death experiences, again, describe incredible beauty, albeit different beauty, mm-hmm. because they appreciate things differently. And at that time, we talked more about um, some of the work I had to do on Earth, um, some of which had to do with the future death of my oldest son. And in talking about that, you know, we sort of went back and again talked about uh, what I had been shown when I was still underwater with regard to the beauty that comes out of every event, regardless of how we as individuals see it, perceive it, or experience it. So you heard of your son's future death? Is that what you're saying? Yes. And did your son... I was told that before I was sent back to my body. Oh, my. And then during the subsequent uh, out-of-body experience, visit to heaven, however you want to describe Uh it, uh, yes, we talked more about it. Wow. So I knew that that, I didn't know the time and date, uh, but I did know that that was likely in the future. So the first thing I did was ask the nurses what medications I was receiving, because of course I wanted more (laughs) of whatever it was. And as it turns out though, other than antibiotics, uh, I was not receiving any narcotics or hallucinogenics. The fact is I didn't have pain for almost two weeks, despite having multiple, multiple injuries. I didn't have pain for almost two weeks. And I had this sense of being neither here nor there. I, I sort of, um, felt otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And then after this second out-of-body experience, I was back in the ICU and There were some remarkable things that happened within the ICU. But then at that point, this veil began reforming. And I 
I felt more and more like I was physically here on this earth. And then I did have pain. <laughs> and then I had, you know, multiple surgeries and many months of, of rehab. And during those many months afterwards, I uh, obviously spent all day, every day, thinking about my experiences and thinking about one of the things I had been told, which was really this mandate to share my experiences with other people. And in doing so, help other people uh, enter into a deeper relationship with God and help them make this transformation from a faith or hope that the promises of God are true to an absolute trust. And in doing so, entirely changed their lives. That's beautiful. And not having a near-death experience to believe that. That's a huge gift. Huge. So... I spent many months trying to figure out what I thought about it because before I could share it with anyone, I had to decide whether I thought it was just a, you know, a dream or hallucination or a chemical reaction of a dying brain. And so I spent many, many months trying to corroborate the details that could be corroborated, listening to the stories of people who had been involved, researching what happens to a dying brain and, and the whole thing. And, yeah. and after many months, my conclusion absolutely was that it was real. I mean, the people who resuscitated me are involved in this sort of thing, not infrequently. This is part of what they do. And they are very clear on the time frame, and they believe that I was without oxygen for 30 minutes. Wow. And within that 30 minutes, there were uh, probably, they think, a total of 15 minutes where, first of all, they, there were five to seven minutes when they didn't know I was missing. Because usually when there's a problem on the river, you're either missing the kayaker or missing the boat, but not both. So it took them a while to figure out that I was missing. And then it took them a while because of the particulars of this river and this waterfall. It took a while to figure out where I must be. And when they finally figured out where the boat and I must be. They started to watch because time is obviously very important when it becomes, mm-hmm. when it comes to deciding whether you're trying to rescue someone or just uh, recover the body. And from that time to the time they began CPR, not completed it, uh, was 15 minutes on the watch. Oh and so I tend to focus on 15 minutes because that's the shortest objective period of time without oxygen. But even at 15 minutes, it's too long. It's too long to hope to survive uh, without mitigating factors like water temperature or things like that. And more importantly, it's definitely too long to survive without severe brain damage. And although (laughs) my kids uh, would tend to disagree, um, the fact is, you know, I didn't suffer uh, brain damage. And so in the end, I had to conclude that it was real. real deal. And conclusion that not only I can come to, but I think that any person who puts out the time and effort, because it really does take time and effort, anyone who puts out the time and effort to actually look, to collect the data, to look with an open mind. Yeah. I believe anyone who actually looks 
will find evidence of God's presence in their own lives, let alone in other people's lives, and and in the end will come to the same conclusion, that there are many experiences, not just experiences like mine, but many experiences in their own lives that can only be explained by God's presence. And once you get to a point where you accept that, sort of making a conscious decision that, yes, I have seen God's presence in my own life, and I believe that to be true, I think that's a game changer for people. Oh, absolutely. Because it's at that point that you accept all of the promises. And one of those promises is that there is life after death. And if you truly, truly accept that there is life after death, it changes the way you experience every moment of every day. It it totally changes. You mentioned earlier at the very beginning of your show that it changes your fear. And I would absolutely 100% agree with you because so many people are so afraid of dying that they never live. Yeah, true. And if you can take that fear away, if you can take that off the table, and if you can say, yes, I know there is life after death, then it changes everything you experience because you don't need to have fear. You don't need to have fear of life mm-hmm. because life is a journey and truly beauty comes out of every event. It changes the way, certainly I experience every event. It changes the way I experienced not only my son's death, which did. That's what I was afraid to ask. Did he in fact pass yeah. away? He did. He died 10 years later. Wow. And there were reasons for me to think that the plan for his life had changed. Uh, but it didn't. And I will tell you that after his death, I certainly, I, I love this boy. I mean, I loved him intensely. I liked him. Uh, I would never say that I was happy. Happiness and joy are very, very different. I was as devastated as a parent can be. But even on my most sad day, I would still say with absolute honesty that I was filled with joy because I had an absolute trust that my son's death was part of God's plan for his life, Mm -hmm. that incredibly beautiful things would come out of his life and his death, regardless of whether I as an individual was going to have the privilege of seeing those effects. I mean, I actually have had the privilege of of seeing many of them, but I had an absolute trust that there would be beautiful things that came of it. And I also know that it's just part of the deal. I mean, I'll see him again. He'll, you know, he's around. If you truly accept that there's life after death, then you realize that our life here is just this little blink of time. It's really very short. We don't have much time to get our work done. You know, I thought of a, then, a, a good book title for your next book, Death is Part of the Deal. <laughs> exactly. You just said those words, and it's like, it is. It is. And <laughs> um, 
and we shouldn't be afraid of it. I really, um, I, I find it very interesting because people many times have asked me what my colleagues think, what other physicians think. And, and I say all the time that if you lined up a hundred doctors and asked them if they believe in life after death, probably 97 of them would say, eh, I don't think so. Hmm. But if you lined up a hundred nurses, 99 of them would say, absolutely. Because the nurses are the ones who are at the bedside during stressful situations. They're the ones who are at the bedside during that end of life period. So they are the ones that hear the stories. At some point, if you hear the same story a hundred times or a thousand times, you have to accept that there's some truth. You know, if someone told you that Johnny's Burgers down the street has the best hamburger (laughs) on the planet, you'd sort of go, oh, okay. If 100 (laughs) people told you that, you would say, you know what? I'm going to go get one of those. Those must be incredible. Oh, that's great. a million people told you that, you wouldn't bother even getting a hamburger there because you would know it to be true. Yeah, I love that. And that's part of the reason I have this show, too, is I want to be the the burger that everybody loves. Right. Really? Well, exactly. That's really wonderful. <laughs> you gave me just a big I mean, smile. death experiences are very common. Yeah, yes. Most people don't talk about them, but I personally, I'm just one individual, and I have probably listened to at least 400 people tell me their stories. Mm-hmm. And probably... And they're not all extensive. Uh-uh. They're not all dramatic. They're not going to tell people because they think people aren't going to believe them uh-huh. or they told one person and they were shot down. But I cannot tell you how many people have told me their stories and they're all the same. The, the type of beauty differs, but people talk about this incredible love of God and intense beauty and the change that it made within their spirit. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts of people that are of a different religion? Um, you know, like you said, the beauty in the fields and the flowers, that was your beauty. That's what came to you. Do you think people of different faiths will see what's appropriate to them? That's just a... Yes. Okay. There are fewer written accounts from other cultures, uh-huh. uh, partly because there are more taboos. Right. But the, the accounts that are written share similarities, but yes, they're different in who greets them. They're different in the type of beauty they see. They are different, but they do exist. And I don't have any idea how it works for anyone but me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know what someone else's experience is going to be like. I know that I am a, just a normal person and I know what I know. Mm -hmm. And I think that God does send his his most gentle messengers. And I do think that we all experience God's incredible love. But people ask me about other religions and I I have no idea. I'm not, you know, that wasn't my experience. Mine was a Christian experience. Um, I don't know how it works for other people. I was just curious. And I also want to tell you, you gave me like a humongously tremendous gift in the beginning when you were talking about when you had your life review. And when you said, you know, when the bad things happened or all that, you know, I 
expected you to say that you saw the impact your actions had on a, another person's life and you know you felt bad or you got some compassion whatever but instead you said you saw the ripple effect of beauty and like blessings and how good things can happen because I think all of us including myself have had some real crummy things happen in life or we might have made some not so great choices and impacted another life but what a whole new way of looking at things to say you know what no that had to happen that way because right. the ripple effect of how we've learned and grown and made a difference right. for others I would agree thank you See, for I'll that tell you, I, holy cow that's big. well and you're welcome and, and really that is one of the most difficult aspects of this experience to explain to people, but I think it's one of the most profound because, again, even thinking that your actions are terrible is a very egocentric way of looking at things. I mean, the fact is, there's incredible beauty. I mean, that doesn't take the responsibility off of us in any moment of any day to be the sure. best person we can right. be. You can't say, oh, hey, it's all, it's all good, so I can do whatever no. I want. Believe me, that's not what I'm saying. Our responsibility is to constantly and continually strive for God's leading and strive to be the person that God knows us and wants us to be. But having said that, you know, every event, people get overwhelmed with the events of the world. And, you know, they say, well, how can there be a God when there's so much evil? But... The fact is, you don't develop compassion unless you see sorrow. Right. You don't develop any of those characteristics. If we lived in a utopia, you wouldn't have the ability to develop in any way or learn anything. And I believe, for example, my son signed up for his deal. I believe that he signed up to, you know, knowing that his life would be short. I think we all sign up for those things. And it's a very cold, people interpret that as a very cold view of events in the world. And, and I am not discounting our responsibility to react appropriately, grow, change, learn, etc. But and, and when you look at events, um, the further in the past they are, the easier it is to see the beauty. And to try to, to recognize that, no, this is an ongoing process. You know, if you look at Christ, and, and it's one example I use because it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't even care who you think he was. He was a historical person who was betrayed by a best friend, arrested, beaten, humiliated, and murdered. Yes. In a really nasty way. Yes. And if that happened today, we would all be distraught. It'd be all over the internet, you know, all over the newspapers. We'd be wringing our hands. And in fact, at the time, his disciples were moping about, you know, they were saying, oh, how could this happen? Well, the fact is, it changed the world. And without Christ's crucifixion, those prophecies would never have been fulfilled. So, was that a terrible thing? Well, no, we all celebrate it yeah, today. Exactly, exactly. But I am quite sure at the time they were not celebrating. No. They were, you know, they were lamenting the evil in the world. And you can point to a lot of events. And again, we have much better vision retrospectively 
it's very difficult for us to understand things real-time or prospectively, which is why my emphasis is so much on making this very conscious transformation from a hope or a faith to a trust. Because trust is a moment-by-moment decision, and if you trust, then you can sort of, you know, you can adapt to the things that are happening at any moment. It's like if you are walking down a a mountain trail and your focus is on whatever, the parking lot, because that's where your car is, you're going to walk down this uneven trail and your foot's going to come down on all kinds of little divots or rocks or bumps and your body's going to kind of, you know, adapt one way or the other. It's not that you're going to get caught up. You're not going to fall over because you trust that your car is in the parking lot and you're looking ahead, you're looking up, you're not looking down at your feet. It's the same kind of thing. I mean, if you have the trust that God's promises are true, one of which is that God has a plan for every person's life that is one of hope, then you can react differently to events that happen. Because you can trust that the beauty will be there regardless of whether you can see it or not. I love that. You gave me such a huge gift today and so many of the things that you said. (laughs) I truly believe. Well, it's really such an incredible privilege for me to be able to share my experiences. And you, you talk about a ripple effect and I trust when the final moment that you do pass holy cow will you see a gigantic ripple effect of how your words and every interaction have inspired people to live a better life and take more risks and you will never see well maybe you will in that final life review but wow i am so <laughs> well delighted. all i know is i better because this is not something i ever would have signed up for no 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 and my my whole journey started because of the death of my dad i never even bought into life after death before you know so um right. i have a whole sure. new life and i have so much joy and so much oh gosh there's so much pleasure by able to make a difference with another person and also it it gives it right back to me i feel like a million bucks right now so thank you. Yeah. I hope you do too. <laughs> well, I I do, and that truly is one of uh, one of my great sorrows in life is that uh, so oftentimes people don't want to view view the world or view events with even a sense of possibility, and I, it makes me great. You know, it gives me great sadness because people could be experiencing life in a very joyful manner. But I think there's, instead of those of us, I, I keep ahead, interrupting you because I'm so excited, so I apologize. Um, but I think there's those of us who are out to share how great the hamburger is, and uh, eventually they'll come around. And like, I've got to go get that hamburger. So I think exactly. we, we too just have to trust that enough of us get together with the same story that eventually um, people believe. I mean, people used to believe the earth was flat and now, I mean, exactly. no way. So it just takes time, right. takes the messengers. And I, I thank you for all the sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank well, you. Thank you. Um, our You're time's welcome. coming to an end. Do you have any closing words? If not, I have, I want to read your daily creed, if I may, that I found on your internet. Sure. 
Okay. Well, first of all, I think that's great yeah. Idea. So thank you again, Dr. Neal. Really, truly, honestly, thank you. you just brought a huge amount of delight and joy and hope and faith and trust to my life, to my day. Um, and thank you to our listener for listening. You can find out more about Dr. Mary Neal at drmaryneal.com. And also, I have a website, We Don't Die Radio, which I'll have more about this interview and more about Dr. Mary Neal and how to contact her. This is Sandra Champlain. I believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth truly is important. So as promised, these are some words from Dr. Mary Neal. She calls it my daily creed. I believe God's promises are true. I believe heaven is real. I believe nothing can separate me from God's love. I believe God has work for me to do. I believe God will see me through and carry me when I cannot walk. So I invite each one of us to believe that there truly is work for each of us to do, that our lives here on earth are for a purpose, that heaven is very, very real, and believe that you are not alone, even at your most difficult times. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.